This is a podcast of the Church of Indian Lake. Excited about a series that I started Wednesday night called Opportunity, Not Obligation. What I want to discuss with you on uh, the next few services on Sundays and Wednesdays going into the new year, we'll have some. Uh, we'll have some different events that will change that up from time to time over the holidays. But what I want to discuss with you is the spiritual disciplines in your life. And, you know, we all have a lot of obligations in our life. We have obligations to pay taxes. We have obligations to uh, perform at work. There's a lot of pressure that all of us feel. All the health reports we get on what we should eat and how much we should eat and how much we should exercise. And as soon as you begin to incorporate something in your life, what happens is they find out the health experts are wrong all along. And all of this seems like there's so many obligations that are so much pressure on us. And so it is that I want you to look at spiritual disciplines as not another obligation in your life, but an opportunity See, Satan wants us to look at all the things we need to do to be close to Christ as just something else to add to the list. Go jogging, keep the house clean, read the Bible, pick up our our backyard leaves, pray. And before we know it, we have a bunch of ought to's in our life. I ought to be reading my Bible. I ought to be praying. I ought to be doing more. And I want to suggest to you a slightly different way to look at that. And instead of looking at the spiritual disciplines as an obligation, look at it as an opportunity for you to receive the grace of God. You see, when you gave your life to Christ, you didn't deserve it. But he gave you grace, which is a great definition for grace, is God's undeserved favor. And that grace didn't stop at salvation. That grace affects every area of your life. And when you participate in the spiritual disciplines, what you're doing is you're saying, God, I want to receive your grace. Every time you read your Bible, every time you pray, every time you give, every time you go to church, it's not an obligation. It is a connecting point to the grace of God. And God has great opportunity for you. And today... Even though the message I'm going to give you is simplistic, I believe it can be one of the most important sermons I give all year long. Because today I want to talk to you about a plan for reading your Bible. Because, you know, unless we plan for good things in our life, good things won't happen. You don't accidentally read your Bible. You don't just mysteriously have this desire for the next 365 days of the year to read your Bible. There might be certain dispensations of grace where you are excited about the Word and excited about the Bible. But if you're anything like me, is that reading your Bible is a choice, it's an opportunity to have, and in my life, regular uh, regularity with reading the Bible has been one of the greatest decisions of my life. I can't think of a greater decision. I started reading my Bible on a regular basis when I was about 13 years old. One of my mentors, Pastor Brent Batson, who's now in Dripping Springs, Texas, began to disciple me and began to encourage me to read my Bible. And from that experience, I've I've participated in lots of different plans and lots of different uh, ways to read the Bible. And it's one of my passions. 
In fact, if I could think of, of what, one of the things that I would love for you to receive from sitting under my ministry is the desire to read God's word and the regular application of that. When I do meetings with people, count, I, I hate to call them counseling meetings because I'm not a professional counselor, but just, just spiritual directive meetings, almost every time, uh, as part of that conversation, we'll go back to me asking the question, where are you in your Bible reading? And most of the time, the vast majority of the time, People are not participating in reading their Bible on a regular basis. And I believe that, no doubt, that when we read the Bible, it's not the answer to every problem, but it is the first step. I mean, it's the first thing in your life. And, and I'm very intentional about why I picked this Sunday. Pick this Sunday, December 4th, because I want you to begin to plan ahead of time. I don't want to wait till January 7th or January 14th to start talking to you about reading the Bible. I want you to begin to plan now for 2011, that you're going to read the Bible on a regular basis. I want you to turn to Psalms 119. Let's go there right now. And, and I, I'm just believing that God's going to put this excitement in your heart. On the back of the bulletin, it's important that you look at that today. There's a chance for you to take notes, but there's also some facts that I want you to be aware of. One of, one of the issues that we're going to talk about in a second is that I've seen a real shift in the last 15 years, on how our culture views the Bible. Our culture, as you know, uh, used to esteem the Bible uh, without getting into all American history. I don't have to uh, explain how we know that we have definitely diluted the influence of the Bible in public sphere, starting with our education and our public school systems to uh, expressions in the government. The Bible has been a huge part of our nation up until about 60 years ago or 50 years ago for sure. So now, uh, up until that time, uh, outside of theological realm, not many people attacked the Bible. There were theologians who attacked the Bible, liberal theologians, but as far as in culture, most people, even if they didn't live according to the Bible, respected the Bible. You know, even if they didn't want to obey the Bible, at least they had a healthy respect. But there has been a cultural assault on the Bible, and one of the issues that I'm noticing is... In some ways, we've been a victim of our own success is that as we've taught uh, each other, as we've taught the church to respect the Bible, we haven't talked much about the history of the Bible. And there are some aspects about the history of the Bible that I want you to at least be cognitive of, because what I'm finding, and especially with those in their 20s, those who are going to college, they come with these questions. They've been coming to me with these questions about how the Bible was put together and why the Bible was put together. And there seems to be a, a level of disillusionment because... Uh, because there's been no recognition of how the Bible is put together, we don't quite understand when we, when we find some certain facts. Now, Psalm 119 is a beautiful song, the longest song in the Bible. And I wanted to start our discussion by picking up on David's heart for the Scripture. David had a huge heart for the Scripture. He's probably singing here specifically about the Torah, the first uh, five books of the Bible. But starting in verse 9 of Psalm 119, verse 9, it says, How can a young man keep his way pure? That's a great question. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. 
Do not let me stray from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. Wouldn't that be great? I just had a word picture there of of when someone wins the lottery, how excited they are. Wouldn't that be great if we had that kind of excitement over God's word, over God's commands? 15, I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. Verse 16, I delight in your decrees. Now here's the phrase that I want you to get in your spirit. I will not neglect your word. Now I want you to repeat that intentionally after me and, and say, let's say that together. Ready? I will not neglect your word. I want us to say that again together. I will not neglect your word. This is something that I want you to be in your spirit because that's what the enemy wants us to do. The enemy wants us to neglect the Bible, to diminish the Bible, to see the Bible uh, as a smaller uh, role in our lives. And it's easy to neglect the word of God. We don't make a conscious decision when we neglect. A lot of times we drift from those we end up neglecting. And here the scripture is intentionally saying, I will not neglect your word. Now, let me give you some names here that you may or may, you may, or may not have heard. Zondervan. Thomas Nelson. Lifeway. Some of those names sound familiar. Those are one of many, many publishers that produce and distribute Bibles. And they all produce good Bibles. There's translations of the Bibles and special study Bibles and special versions of the Bible. Uh, there are pastors who, who they become the Aaron Allison study Bible. That's not been published yet. But uh, there's all types of Bibles like that. There's almost every variety that you can imagine. And as ministers, what we often have done is, is we've taken the Bible and we've said, this book, this book right here, it, it has every answer, and that is true. And, and, and we, we have valued, we have, have caused this high value to come from our Bible. But I think one of the misconceptions that we have that I just want to make sure you're aware of is this. This is a misconception. That as Jesus ascended into heaven, a black, genuine leather Zondervan Bible with the gold trim with study notes descended also and landed in the hands of the disciples. And all of a sudden there was this, this book all neatly bound and marketed. And it was the handbook. You know, we use a lot of illustrations, say this is God's playbook on Super Bowl Sunday, or this is God's manual, and all of those are helpful And they're not necessarily wrong, but they give this misconception that the Bible came down just neatly and tightly given to us. But this realizing what I'm about to tell you has actually helped me respect the Bible even more. The Bible that we have, the 66 books, went through great struggle to become what it is today. The 66 books that we know is God's inspired word of God developed over much time and much debate. And it developed in a way that it was in a process 
that our church fathers almost didn't even realize how it was being developed. There's something known as the canon. The canon is an important word for you to know. The canon comes from a word called read, and it means to keep things straight or to keep things in line. And there's an Old Testament canon of 39 books, and there's a New Testament canon of 27 books. And those are the books that as an orthodox us Christian church, as a Protestant church, those are the only 66 books that are the word of God. It's so important that you know that because the Book of Mormon is not the word of God. Seventh-day Adventists and their extra literature is not the word of God. And then there are also books that are known as part of the Apocrypha that are ancient and old, and you can trace them back to known writers of that day. And they used to, people wondered if they would be the word of God. But over the years, our church fathers said, no, those books are not the word of God. The reason that's important is because through various mediums, even through fiction literature over the last seven years, is that people have attacked the authenticity of the scripture because they're saying, well, this book existed and this book existed. And what did this book say? And that should not alarm you and that should not upset you. In fact, That should encourage you that the books we have today are God's reliable word of God because they've been tested, they've been judged, they've been preached from, they've been studied, and they are they are approved by centuries of Christian faith as that which is inspired of God. And that should actually strengthen our resolve in what the Bible is. So I think it's important that we understand this is that when Jesus was teaching, there was already established uh, by, by the, the start of the new calendar when Jesus was alive and well, established Old Testament scriptures that had already been established that those 39 books were the word of God. And he, you can look in your sheet there and he refers, those are referred to uh, in, the, in the scripture as the law and the prophets and the psalm. They didn't refer to them as the Old Testament. It was referred to as Moses and the prophets. Those were the scriptures that were the word of God. And in fact, you can look at Luke chapter 24, verse 44. And Jesus is speaking here and he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses. What is that talking about? That's talking about the Old Testament. There was an established, by the time Jesus was around, there was already an established Old Testament canon. There were specific books that, that the uh, Hebrew people, the Jewish faith, have said, these are our scriptures. These are the holy books. These other books, other books that got into uh, the Greek Septuagint and those type of things were not the word of God. These specific books were. So he said this. He's uh, again reading that. He says, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. What are the prophets? Those are Jeremiah. Those are Isaiah. Uh, your, your major prophets, your minor prophets. And of course, the Psalms. So Jesus already says, these are the scriptures. These are what the word of God is. These were known, publicly acknowledged, reliable texts that said, these are the things that we're going to depend on to form our faith and who we are. So, so that is what the first century church inherited. They inherited this recognized Old Testament canon that not only did the Jewish faith embrace, 
But Jesus himself embraced this and said, this is the word of God. Now we're going to talk about the New Testament canon. Can y'all just do me a favor? Are y'all awake out there? Can say, oh, yeah. Okay, that helps me, especially in the 9 a.m. service. You know, I get all excited about church history. And everybody's like, okay, let's move along here. But this is important. This is important to know these things. So the first century church already had the Old Testament canon as a scripture. But as they had different gospels and sayings of Jesus and letters from the apostles, that there were various writings that they began to debate whether it was now Scripture or the Word of God. And here's the part that I want you to understand, is that it took almost 400 years before the church knew exactly what the Word of God was. 400 years. Now, you can choose to look at that in one of two ways. You can get all nervous and be like, oh, no. Oh, no, what is Scripture and wasn't Scripture? And I can't believe this. No one's told me that. Or you can choose to do what I've done and said, now the New Testament is even more reliable. The New Testament was preached from 400 years and debated and church fathers met and they prayed over it. And they said, now, no, these 27 books are the word of God. Some books from the beginning were the word of God. No one really questioned them. Others had to be tested. Books like Jude were tested to say, is this really it? And, and, and all of that culminated in the year 397. You can see it on your notes where the third council of Carthage said this. These 27 books are God's word. It. These are it. These are God's word. So I'm saying all this because I want you to know I love Christian literature. I love to read a wide variety of authors. I love now reading blogs. I use Google Reader and I read from other thinkers that are not in the mainstream that just give wonderful thoughts on Christianity and culture. I love reading other uh, other works that are not uh, specifically Christian, that are are either nonfiction or fiction that inspire and, and show uh, the gifting of God. And I believe reading and study is important. But there is something different about the 66 books that make up the Word of God. There's something different about the Bible. It is a standard. It is different. It is set apart. It is holy. There's inspiration on it. There's a power. There's an authority. There's something on the Word of God that's different than anything else that you read. And it's something that will impact your life. It'll something that will change your life. You know, we're all searching for God's will. What should I do? Where should I go? How should I act? If we start with going to the Scripture and the Word of God, can I just tell you that that's the first step? Regular reading of your Bible is going to be the first step to knowing God's will for your life. It's going to open doors. It's going to open avenues. It's going to do incredible things in your life. Now, there's a secular book that, that I read over the last year and a half that just tremendous by Malcolm Gladwell. It's called Outliers. Outliers challenges what our view of success is. And Gladwell makes a point that you might have heard before, I've mentioned it before here, that there is a magic number that makes you an expert. That number is this, 10,000. If you can, if you can uh, practice something for 10,000 hours, you can become an expert at that. 
One of the quotes he had in his book I want to share with you now. And uh, it says, the emerging pictures from, and he's talking about different studies, from such studies is that 10,000 hours of practice is required to achieve the level of mastery associated with being a world-class expert. Now watch this. In anything. So the, these are what various uh, very sociologists and people who study this type of stuff have concluded. Now going on, it says, in study after study of composers, basketball players, fiction writers, ice skaters, concert pianists, chess players, master criminals, and what have you, this number comes up again and again. This is just a remarkable, um, if you want to call it a fact, or let's call it a theory. It's a remarkable theory that if you take one thing and you practice it enough, you can become an expert at it. Now, what I want to suggest to you is the benefit of repetitively getting in God's word. Of on a regular basis over a long period of time, letting reading of the scripture being part of your life. If I were to ask you, what is the most important thing you can become an expert on? An irrefutable argument is this. You can become an expert as much as you can be on God and what God says. Now, the great thing about God is his ways are unsearchable and his ways are beyond us. And you can study God forever and you're never an expert in God because he's way beyond us. You see, theology is all theology means study. Theos means God. Theology is the study of God. And you can just study God until you become in heaven, until you become in, until you go to heaven. And even then, I think we'll be studying God even more because he's so wonderful and his ways are so beyond ours. But the idea is this, is that all of you uh, at some time or the other uh, were attempting to be an expert at something. And that's a good thing. And I think it's a good thing to even take this earthly knowledge and try to become an expert at something. But every one of us should understand the power of repetitively and regularly getting into God's word to having the special, the special book that's been set apart by his spirit speaking to our spirits. I'm going to quickly suggest to you three benefits from reading the scripture. And the first one is this, that, that I want to suggest. It says a greater focus, greater focus, write it down. Physical therapists and trainers, they understand the concept. What you don't use, you lose. The mind is a muscle and we must continually use it. We must continually expand it. So it is with our spiritual mind. We live in an age and an era that we are in a post-Christian America. I hate to tell you that, but I've got to tell you that. I mean, I'm believing for revival. I'm believing for renewal. But things have changed the last 20 years. We're in a post-Christian America where all the data we get, people don't think like Christians anymore. People don't think biblically centered anymore. And if we don't use our spiritual mind and ask the Holy Spirit to renew our mind through the Word of God, we'll start thinking wrong. We'll start justifying sin. We'll start um, uh, giving in to compromise that we never would have thought we would have two years ago and five years ago unless we use our spiritual mind. And so when you read the word of God on a regular basis, it makes your mind sharper. I'll see this is that when we just default to the newspaper, when we just default to whatever is being released on our blog or on the Internet, when we just 
go to that information only and exclude Scripture, then we, we have access to the same information everybody else does. We're no different. But when we regularly read the Bible, our mind is sharper and we're able to integrate those things to our life in even a greater way. When, when, I want you to write down number two. This is going to point number two is that we have a sharper mind. A sharper mind. Write that down in your bulletin. I, when I do regular Bible reading, I literally think quicker. When, when I am reading my Bible on a regular basis, I find that I make decisions faster. My thought processes are clearer. Um, when I abandon Bible reading for other things that I think are more pressing, uh, there, there's a burden on me. But when I read my Bible first, whatever first means, whether you start in the evening or start in the morning, there, there's like a release. There's like a freedom. Everything else becomes clearer. Everything else is sharper. My mind is sharper. Uh, I have God's perspective on what we're doing. Uh, and, and I know exactly what he's trying to say. Number three, I want you to write this down, is cleaner thoughts. You have cleaner thoughts. Cleaner thoughts. There is no way, no better way to purify your mind than getting in the Bible. Listen, we live in an era where we don't have to search out sexual impurity. Sexual impurity searches us out. And when you read the Bible, I believe that if you want to have a word picture of this, it's like taking a wash rag to your mind. And it cleans out those impure thoughts and it cleans out those wrong attitudes and it cleans out those wrong spirits and it purifies your mind and it makes your mind cleaner. I love what Ephesians chapter 5, you'll want to change that in your bulletin because in your bulletin it says Ephesians chapter 3. But Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 and 26 says, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. That's what I get, a picture of the Word of God just cleansing my thoughts, washing my mind, cleansing, cleansing it of the darkness. There's power in the Word. There's power in the Scripture. Augustine was a, in the Middle Ages, he was a theologian that we have no idea how much he's impacted our faith. He's one of the greatest theologians of the church. But Augustine was in a certain era of his life where he was a confused professor. He couldn't get rid of sin in his life. And he began to question his own salvation. One day as he was burdened by this. And he was burdened by this guilt. And he didn't sense any freedom in Christ. He was meditating on this. And some children were playing nearby. And as they were playing a game, as it was incorporated in their game, there was a little saying in the game that said this, Take up and read. Take up and read. And so he took... The scriptures, the parchments, he opened it up. And he opened up to Romans chapter 13. And it says it this way in verse 13 and 14. He said, let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Augustine stopped right there and he said it this way. Augustine said these words, no further would I read nor need I. For instantly, at the end of the sentence, all the darkness of doubt vanished. God used that game and took that man to the Scripture. And through that Scripture, 
the world was changed. And as your pastor, this is what I'm going to ask you to do in 2011. Take up and read. Take up and read. Read the scripture. Make it part of your life. Inside your bulletin, I want to take your attention to a couple of things. There's a Bible reading plan that I've provided for you. This is a plan that I've used. I've had a lot of experiments and Bible reading plans, but this is what I want to see us do as a church. Is This is a plan called 5 by 5 by 5 It's five minutes a day, five days a week, and there's five suggestions how you can get deeper with the Lord. I want you to read the New Testament. I want us as a community of faith to read the New Testament together next year. Now, no doubt some of you will want to read more. Maybe you'll want to read the whole Bible. I read the whole Bible once a year. Maybe you'll want to supplement that. But I think there's a great power when we're all reading some of the same things. Now, let me explain to you a little bit about this Bible reading plan because you need to understand something. I've worked with many people on this. And this is, I want you to get this word in your mind, a marathon. Because when January comes... You're going to think, this is too easy. And you're going to be like, I'm going to mark it off. Mark one, mark two, mark three. I'm, you know, you're going to think on January 3rd, I'm halfway done with the month. Well, the issue here is sustainability. It's a pace. So take this plan and if you want to read more, supplement that or do whatever. And maybe we can just walk together and grow together. There's a form inside there that... I want to ask that you consider signing because I believe God's called, called me to ask 200 people to read the New Testament this year and to walk together. I want to walk with you on this. I want us to start, I want to, on January 1st, I want to be able to send you an email in that first day or two and let's launch off in that first day of the year reading Mark chapter 1 and let's read together. Let's lift up the Word of God, the spiritual values. Let's lift up the spiritual level in this church by daily devotion. I love this plan because one thing you need to be aware of is there's 25 readings a month. And that's very intentional because not many of you are going to read the Bible every day. I'm going to be honest with you. I read a lot of scripture, but I don't read the Bible every day. It just, or some days, it doesn't. I wish I did. I wish I did. But this, I've always had a Bible reading plan to keep me self-accountable. But now I want to take that a step further. And as a church community, I want us to be mutually accountable to this. So we go the higher ways in the Lord. So 25 readings a month is wonderful. Because if you read the Bible every day, that will give you 25 readings. And the other five to six days, you can do additional. Thank you for listening to the podcast of The Church in Indian Lake.